the message today starts called Adore Him. Now, that word actually does not show up in our English Bible. Uh, that word is not... We actually sing it in songs or Christmas songs, but the word adore or adoration is not in our English Bible. And the problem with that is when we sing the, Oh, come let us adore Him, and it's, we don't recognize that as being part of a scripture, maybe you can connect it to other Christmas songs. And the truth is, if your understanding of Christmas has been built off of traditions and Christmas cards and Christmas carols, you have a way off-base scheme or skew of what Christmas is. As a matter of fact, most Christmas carols or songs that we sing that lay out the picture of understanding or meaning of Christmas are completely as far from being accurate as possible. For for example, sing this one with me if you know it. Oh, a silent night. Do you know this one? Holy night. All is calm. All is... All right, stop just a minute. How many of you guys have ever been at a hospital when a baby was being born? Was it ever quiet? Was it ever calm? Was it all bright? I'm saying, you're talking about chaos. And so we sing that song trying to predict Christmas, but that's as far from accurate as you could possibly be. As a matter of fact, on that night, um, Jerusalem was so packed with the senses that the streets would have been buzzing with noise and sounds all night long. So that's as far off base as you could possibly be. So if your understanding of Christmas is built off songs that we sing, basically built into um, biblical ideas, then you could actually have the wrong skew of what Christmas is. You know, and when we say the word adore him, because that's one of the most popular songs, Oh, come, all you faithful. And then we get to our, Oh, come, let us adore him. We can actually allow ourselves to think that that adore means let me just come and tell God how much I love him. Let me show up and make a presence. Let me, but adore me so much more. As a matter of fact, you know, there's only, it's impossible. We've taken in the English language. It's impossible for us to use the word adore in the actual content that's supposed to be meant in any other way besides to God. As a matter of fact, it's like, you know, I say, oh, I, I just love and adore my kids. Well, I can't. If I do, it's not adore, adoration. So we're going to break this down over the next several weeks. I want to break into the Christmas story. I love the Christmas story. But the thing about it is, if I don't get a full understanding of the Christmas story, circumstances, events, or even songs and traditions can change it. I was reading a story the other day about a, a young boy, these two young boys that were competing for roles in a Christmas nativity play scene. And uh, one, both of them liked the girl that was going to play Mary in the play. So they were really going after Joseph's role. They wanted to be Joseph. And one of the kids was just a better actor than the other kid. And so they cast one of the boys as Joseph. And the other child got put in as the innkeeper. And he was upset, mad. He wanted to be where Joseph was, and he didn't get to be Joseph. So he decided he was going to fix it the way he wanted to. So in the play, when it got to the time where the innkeeper, they were, uh, the, Joseph came and knocked on the door, and um, the innkeeper opened the door and says, he was supposed to say, we have no room. Joseph says, we need a room. He said, oh, come on in. We got plenty of room in here for you. As a matter of fact, you can have my room. 
and quick thinking boy of Joseph said they, they thought the play was going to crash at that point, thought he would throw him off, embarrass him in front of the girl he liked, stuck his head inside, turned back to Mary and said, that place is a dump. There ain't no way I'm staying there. We're going to the barn. And they took off toward the barn. They, a lot of times we can shift and move what actually took place around the holidays to be something that is not. For example, Christmas is not about presents. It was about the present when it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's what Christmas is. And it took thousands of years of God preparing everything in the Old Testament for that moment to change my, your, our children's, our parents' future for eternity. And so I don't want to give this story any light today and over the next couple of weeks. And I'm, you say you don't, if today you're here and you don't stick with me through it all, you're saying, I'm not understanding where we're going, Craig. I promise if you'll stick with me over the next couple of weeks, you will get a prophetic word that I believe will take us into 2022. And so I'm going to try to put as much seriousness in this as I can. And uh, we're going to jump right into it. There are a lot of characters in the Christmas story. I love all the different characters in the Christmas story. And like today, we're going to touch on one part of it. But I don't want to uh, uh, belittle any of the parts because what may seem negative about a part or a character in the story today will be a positive character in next week's message. <laughs> I've wrote the messages to bring out the points that I believe God has called for us to truly learn to adore Him. The word adore is not in our English Bible. It actually is in the Greek Bible, and it's uh, not the way it's, it's spelled. P-R-A-S-K-U-N-E-A with a little squiggy above it. I'm not going to pronounce that for you, but you can get it. But it actually means what we consider or call... In the English language, in our Bible, it doesn't say adore. When it was translated from the Greek, we put the word worship in its place, which is an amazing word within itself. But when we translate that word from Greek and we put it to an English word with just the word worship on it, it takes away some of the depth that this word means. Because in our English language and in our English thinking, worship to some is a slow song. To some, worship is a service or 10, 15 minutes part of a service. It's singing of hymns together. The truth of the matter is that's kind of like saying the way I feel about my wife is the same way I feel about ice cream. And you can love them both, but the loves are different. Adore is not simply worship. Adore is to... Another way to say it is to take what's on the inside of a vessel and pour it out to or for someone that you truly, deeply love. Giving them everything from the inside and laying it at their feet. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about in Revelation chapter 4 in heaven that God's sitting at the, at, in the throne and it's surrounded by 24 elders and they take off their crowns. And they lay it at the feet of Jesus in worship, which is adore. They're pouring everything of who they are. They're pouring everything of what they are. Everything of what they to and giving it over to another. I love my kids, but I'm going to be honest with you. It would be sin if I adore my kids. You cannot, you aren't to, and it's impossible to adore anything besides a God in your life. 
Uh, the word adore is a spiritual meaning. It's a spiritual word. It's not a fleshly word. I can love and I can worship a lot of things. And, but I can't adore anything but a, something on a spiritual level because it's deeper than what we have an English word for. But it doesn't keep it from being a heart issue. So what the Lord laid on my heart this year for our Christmas message would be this. There's a lot of reasons why we're in here today. Some came because you desperately need the hand of God. Some became because you've been living in a certain way outside of here and and the Holy Spirit's just been drawing and pulling you, getting you to come back. So you've come to get back with the Lord. There's some here that you may have come to, you know, be with other Christians and other people. There's some in here today that may be here because this is like Jesus. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it says he went up to the synagogue for it was his custom. This is a tradition. This is what you do. You have been church is an important place. You look, but you're here because you love God. The truth of the matter is, it doesn't matter what any other reason we came here for. We have the opportunity while we're here to not get anything but to give. Adore is a word that is giving, is an action that you take that is an a, a outpouring, even if there is no receiving back. And so the word of the Lord for this Christmas season, the Lord told me if we as people, as individuals and as a church would make our main purpose, focus and goal to adore him. Then in return, God was going to do something for us. And I want to show that to you in this message. I want to read real quick a Christmas story. And like I say, we're going to talk about all different kind of Christmas characters in this. But we're going to focus in today on the ones that are found in Matthew chapter 2. I'm just going to start reading. It says, And now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came from Jerusalem. Now, do y'all mind if I stop and break things up for a minute? All right. Well, how many of you guys have heard the song, We Three Kings from Orient are travel? I don't know. That's why I usually start humming. But so traditionally, we've been taught that in the Christmas story, there are three kings that came and presented Jesus with gifts. Well, truth be told, that's not true. There is no number of men that were put into this amount that made this journey. It's no work. We as as people have, are, and even in history, they brought it down to three because they they gave three gifts. As a matter of fact, it doesn't tell us how much of each gift they gave. And so we do know this, though, about um, how many there were. And I don't believe there were three. Because the Bible says, as we read on down, it'll say when they came to Herod, Herod was greatly troubled. Herod was a very ruthless king. He was very tough. And I don't think three men showing up at his door asking where a baby is would have been enough to trouble him. It would have taken an army. It would have taken half a nation to come and bring the kind of terror that put on this man. So I don't, you know, theologians, they don't know the number, but I'm here to tell you it had to take more than three showing up knocking on a door for even to get an audience. They came in, like, when I read the story, I, I go back into, because I came out of Disney, Prince Ali, you know that one? Yeah, that's what I see coming into Herod's palace is all this caravan to where the king couldn't help but get his attention and find out what is going on here. There was such a spectacle. There was such uh, an effort put forth 
that even the king of the area had to stand up and take notice. And it actually put terror in his heart, the Bible says, because these people and this amount were coming to worship someone besides him. So there were not just... So the question is, who were these people? Well, if it says there were these wise men coming, let's jump down. How many guys have been... Again, the song says, we three kings of Orient are. Well, the truth of the matter is, these were not even kings. As a matter of fact, uh, they were actually spiritual advisors or what they've been called in history, also know is king appointers. They actually came from a, a, their ancestral, comes back from, I don't really want to try to pronounce the name they came from, but they were a group and a nation that at point in time's history, they came and came against Persia and came to battle against Persia. They were from the ancient, they, they're, they're the lineage of the Medes, they were a tribe that had come out of the Medes, and we picked them up in history when they tried to come and overtake Persia, but they lost that battle. When they tried to overtake Persia, they lose in that battle. They, um, Persia kings and emperors did not kill them. They saw how smart and intellectual and gifted these guys were, so they did not kill them. They actually put them in slavery at first and kept them captive, but then they moved them into being uh, counselors or advisors to royalty and kings. We find them in the Old Testament mentioned and start seeing more of what their role was when you read in the book of Daniel. When Daniel, when um, Babylon came and take King Nebuchadnezzar, they had taken captive of children of Israel and they brought the smartest and the wisest and the best looking into the um, kingdom and they began to feed and train and teach them and indoctrinate them with their belief systems, there was already a group of advisors at work for King Nebuchadnezzar. Do you remember these guys? They were the ones that were always trying to get Daniel in trouble. All right, so this is where we find where the, what we call the Magi come from. Their first, when we look back in the Old Testament, that's where they were. So this was a group of people, though, that had spiritual giftings, but they weren't Christian or God believers. They actually worshipped another god that was the god of storms and the god of mountains and all these other gods, but they were very interested in learning science, very interested in learning astrology. They were very interested in learning all of these. They were Their power was intellectual, but they also had spiritual gifts of interpreting dreams. And so they were put in by the Persian Empire into places to be king advisors, and they moved through history into becoming king appointers. They, their life had become to a place where what they would do is they would choose and pick or see or could prophesy or have dreams and interpretation of who should be king, of what areas and those kinds of things. And so now we see them in the book of Daniel, but then we see also that Daniel saved their life at one point. And so during the process of the book of Daniel, going into the lion's den, and God, the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, put Daniel over all of his advisors now. So Daniel, at that point, began to influence these magi, these advisors. And when you're reading through the book of Daniel, you're seeing all the prophecies and things foretelling Jesus the King is coming. Jesus the Counselor, Jesus the Son of God, Jesus the Messiah. And Jesus, uh, Daniel introducing into that culture Scripture that was beginning now. These guys would begin to not just study stars and signs. They began to study Scripture that when... 
an event happened in history, they recognized it. Now, I just want to say this to say that. It's amazing that when you read the book of Daniel, you see that Daniel just standing up and living the life that God told him to live had the power to change a nation. But it also had an influence hundreds of years later to influence and have such an impact on a culture that hundreds of years later they were still being affected by the life that he lived. I want to tell you something. We're all called to affect everywhere we're put in. You think you're, not, you think you're just working a job? You could be the very Daniel God put in that job that would change that company. You, you think we're all put into families? You have the power. If Daniel had the power to affect an ungodly spiritual advisor's to hundreds of years later coming and traveling thousands of miles or hundreds of miles to come and be a part of the nativity story. I'm here to tell you, you have the same power to make those kind of impacts in your marriage and your family and your job. And we just got to stand up and start taking those kind of stands. But so that's where the Magi were found. How they were able to recognize the star was the influence that Daniel had upon that culture. Well, in the Christmas story, the reason why I want to focus in on these here is because out of all the characters that we talk about in the story, Mary, which I'm not belittling her by no means, but Mary was involved in this story because she had a spiritual encounter and an angel appeared before her. That's pretty cool. All right, Joseph, he did not want to be a part of the story when he found out what was going on. But the reason why he stayed a part of the story was because he had a godly encounter in a dream. The Bible says God came to him in a dream. All right, so God told him. He heard from God in both of these accounts. The, the shepherds, which we'll talk about later on one of these services, you know, I'm not belittling them at all, but you know, the only reason why they were in the story or a part of this taking place was because the angels appeared before them and God told them what was going on. reason why I want to start with the Magi today on us moving into 2022 of what God, because these people did not get a word from the Lord. God didn't show up and tell them to do this. They just had a desire to have a spiritual encounter that they didn't understand and they had never had before. And I want to bring that up for you today because this, you may be here today and you're saying cricket, my life's a wreck, man, and I just need to hear from God. And I wish God would just show up. If He would, and there may be, and you're here, and you're saying, you know, I wish God, if God would just show up and tell me what to do, I'll do it. I'm here to tell you, you may not have to have, you don't have to have an encounter like other people have had. All you got to do is have a desire, and God can use you greater than God could use anyone else in your story. These wise men weren't told by God to go. They just had the wisdom to recognize that God was doing something and they could be a part of it. I'm here to tell you, God's fixing to do something. And you have the opportunity to get to be a part of it. And what God's about to do in the next year of this life, of your life, your family, and in this church, and I believe in this nation, I still, you people are like, well, through COVID, is the revival? No, I think the revival's coming greater than we've ever seen it come. And I believe it's right at the cusp. And I believe that I have a choice. I don't have to have God tell me where to go to be. All I got to do is have a desire to be a part of what God's doing and start looking for how I can. The Bible says they, obviously, they were looking at the stars one day. 
or one night. Maybe it was a dark time in your life and you don't know what direction to go. Just start looking toward the stars in your life. God puts stars in every one of our lives. He's put mentors and teachers and parents and pastors that we can look toward. And the truth and the principle is this. If you don't know how to be wise, just follow stars that God has put in your life and people will think you are. That's the way I, I play that way a lot of times. So a lot of times I don't know what to do about situations. So I either call a mentor, get on the phone with my dad, call my prayer warrior, say, hey, let's pray about what do you think about this? And sometimes I'm just following what they're telling me and people think I end up looking pretty good. All right. If you want that, there's a good way to fool people into making your wise is follow stars that God's put in your life. If you don't know what direction to go, start following the stars that God has put into your life. Well, a lot of people don't understand that that they have stars. God's put mentors, pastors, and you need to tell like today, this morning at 9.30, Brother Luanzo did a men's meeting. If you're a young man in this, in this church and you don't know what direction to go, you need to place yourself in a place where you can see stars. I wish every man in this church would start attending every other week the 9.30 man to find. So that you, when you get into a situation in your marriage, on your job, in your finances, in your business, you don't know what to go, there's a star you can follow God gives us stars. But the Bible says these guys saw a star and they began to follow. Now, a lot of times in the story with Christmas, we see the nativity scene and we see the wise men on one side and the shepherds on the other. The truth of the matter is the wise men were not there the night that Jesus was born. They saw the star when Jesus was born and they began to follow it. But theologians dictate and predict that it was about a two-year journey for them. So when you're reading this, we're going to read it and just say, you're going to see it says they didn't come to the manger. It says they came to the house. Jesus had already moved into a house. Right? And so he wasn't still in the barn. And so they, it was a journey, a process for them to get there. And I'm going to bring out all kinds of stuff. And then we're going to go somewhere. OK, I'm going to hit these as quick as I can. And you say, well, cricket, I, I want to do something for God. But it sure does seem like it's taken a long time. Man, I tell you what, you keep trucking, you keep going, you keep going in the direction that you're going in. And you're going to get to a place where your life begins to make an impact in your life around you and everywhere else you go. It may take a little while, but it's OK. It's worth the trip. And so these guys travel for two years, theologians believe. And when they got there, this is why, now we will account and read the story. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star from the east and have come to worship him. Now, and it says again, The word we interpreted worship is the Greek word that you would now pull out as be adore. So we have come to adore Him. They didn't come to sing songs. They didn't come. They came to adore Him. A lot of times in my Christian walk, I find myself pursuing God for what I can get out of it. I need to be saved. I need to be forgiven. I need to be healed. I need to be delivered, I need my marriage fixed, I need my finance. And I'm going to be honest with you, if I were to lay out on a graph probably how much of my walk of following the Lord I've spent, I would probably say 90% of my Christian walk has been following the Lord because I needed something from Him. And I'm so thankful that when I needed a Savior, He saved me. I'm so thankful that when I needed a deliverer, He delivered me. I'm so thankful when I needed a provider, He provided. I'm so thankful... That when I needed someone to care and love me, he was there. But I'm here to tell you this. These guys did not follow a star 
to find a savior or a healer or a provider. These guys followed a star because it was something of greater value in their life that they were going to encounter than just a savior or just a healer or just a deliverer could ever give them. This is what they said. They said, we have come. Where is he? We have come to worship the king. Jesus is different than just the one that's going to get you to heaven. Jesus is more than the one that can deliver you and heal your marriage and give you a great job. Jesus is more than a get-out-of-jail-free card. Jesus is more than a get-you-out-of-trouble-and-forgive-you-and-fix-the-mess-that-you-made. See, there's another level of serving the Lord that you can live that will have the power to change your life in a way that no one else in this Christmas story's story was changed. Let me read it to you like this. It says, and so it came to me, it says, we've come to worship. Verse 3, and when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And he said, when he gathered, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Now, let me, I'm going to break this up all the way down. We just introduced a whole new group of people here. A whole new group. Um, Well, first it said this. It says, when Herod heard this, he was troubled. That lets us know that there was, there was a big enough entourage that he better pay attention to. But then it said this. It says, and all of Jerusalem with him. Why would Jerusalem, all of Jerusalem have been troubled? That word troubled there in the Greek is interpreted greatly distressed. He wasn't just bothered, mad, angry. This dude was greatly distressed. And it says, all of Jerusalem was with him. Because what you got to do is understand, number one, who Herod was. You know, they say uh, when mama's mad or happy, everybody's happy. When mama's mad, hide. All right? This is Herod. All right? Herod is a ruthless, heartless king. Or he called himself king. As a matter of fact, Herod's title, though, at this time, was Herod, king of the Jews. Now, the thing about Herod being king of the Jews was the way he got the position was not that he was a true king. Because you've got to mark this down and this will make sense in a minute. Kings have to be born. They can't be elected. We as Americans live in a society that we elect presidents and we're in a democracy. And we, if you grew up in America, don't understand or have the concept of king because we've never lived under that and that's not the rule that we grew up in understanding. But a king has to be born. Now, Herod was born, obviously, but a king has to be born a king. But Herod was not born a king. As a matter of fact, Herod's father was a friend of Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar helped Herod's father in a time of conquest. So in return, Julius Caesar put Herod's father in over the Jewish nation as a reward for the help that he had given him. So in return, he called and claimed himself to be king. Herod was born into his father's house, and he was born and he called himself the king, and he called himself the king of the Jews. 
And so think about it. It don't matter what somebody calls themselves. If they weren't born a king, they're just pretending to be king. And so this guy was pretending to be a king, so he was very insecure about it. And out of his insecurities and fears, he was known as Herod the Terrible or Herod the, the, uh, hard, the hard-hearted Herod. There was a, a story in history records that there was a time that his wife was raising in popularity. He got concerned that she was going to have more influence over the people he was king over than she was, so he had her killed. There was also another time that he had two of his sons killed so that they would never be able to take the throne that he was on. They said there's a saying in history that said it was safer to be King Herod's pig than it was to be his son. Now, that's a pretty tough statement because he probably liked bacon too. But guaranteed, anybody that could sit on his throne, no matter what it cost him, he was willing to go after. This, uh, he was such a hard king, history records, that... When he began to get ill and went to die, he came and took all of the, the influential head leaders in the Jewish nation. He had them all locked up and put in prison as he approached getting close to death. Because this is recorded in history. That's what he said. He said, I know when I die, I will not be mourned. I will be celebrated when I die. So, on, on order of, him, of his death, the decree was made when he dies... They were to go and kill every influential leader in the Jewish nation that had been in prison so that the whole nation would be mourning and not celebrating when he died. That's how bad this dude was. And so when Herod heard this big entourage of whatever it was that caught his attention come in to say, say, where is the king? He was infuriated because, number one, they went to where Herod was because where do you find a king? In a palace. So they came looking for a king, and they came to a palace, and they found Herod. And when they looked at Herod, they did not say, King, where is the child born? They instantly knew that this was not to be a king. The enemy is always at work trying to put things in your life and in my life that can raise itself up as a king so that we can get so far off base of who we're giving our adoration and our worship to, that we miss out on all that God planned and has for us in our destiny. The devil can take a relationship and put it in your life and make you think that this is what makes you who you are. And so you just pour everything you have out into this relationship and that relationship can never satisfy or never fulfill you and you end up being broken and hurt. There's, the devil's put so many things in our lives that try to be uh, perpetrate a king to where we never make it to where Jesus is actually about to impact our life. Herod's palace was just one city over from Jerusalem. And so as they were following the star, they got to the, where they thought a king would be. And there was someone in the palace that was not a king, but was just playing the role. You know, and the devil's put jobs and he's put, you know, hobbies and he's put possessions in our lives to make us think that, you know, this is a good enough king. But the problem with all those kings is they can do nothing but bring you brokenness and heartache. Because the only thing that can ever really give you purpose and joy and gladness and peace in your life it's Jesus as your king. Amen. And the Bible says when they saw Herod, they said, you're not the king. Where is the king that we, we know 
we're supposed to have in our life. And the Bible says this, and this next group of people get introduced to the story. And it pulls in the religious leaders and the priests over to find out where this king is. Because i got to be honest with you, just because you know everything about Jesus, and just because you go to church, and just because that you've grown up in it, and just because that you call yourself a Christian, does not mean Jesus is your king. And these guys were standing in Herod's palace on the very night that the king was born. And they were so involved in what their religious games were that they missed out on getting to adore Jesus and what he'd come for. One of the scariest things that the church can get into is religion. Here already in the story, we find King Herod that had decided that he was going to spend his life worshiping and adoring his king, which was himself. Man, I'm telling you, if you're trying to serve Jesus just to get something out of it, you're missing out on the greatest part of life that God's put you here to live. But then we find the religious leaders that, you know, have made religious so a part of their life that it gave them their, their reputation and it put them in stature with the people to where even kings were calling and asking for their opinions and it became a status symbol. If your walk with the Lord is simply a status symbol, if you're, if you're only a part of what God is doing in churches and in your family because you want to be deacon, bishop, pastor, because you want people to thank you, I'm saying that's a miserable life and you're missing out on what God's about to do. Because see, anything trying to be king in your life, whether it be religion, whether it be self, whether it be possessions, anything that holds the position of king in your life is going to cost you your destiny. There can only be one king. And the Bible says that these guys, they pulled the religious people together and they were there with the wrong king when the right king was changing history. If you're, you, you can be as religious as you want to be. But that's not what God's about to do in this nation. He's about to be king. And if you want to be a part of it, you can't just be happy with the religious experience. Then let's read it. It says, so he inquired of them where the Christ is to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet. Man, they knew everything about it. But it says, But you, Jerusalem, and the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judea. For out of it you shall come a ruler, and who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, who had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. I want to stop just for a minute and say this. We are going to the prophetic word. You're going to get a prophetic word. All right? But before we get there, you got to see this. Herod was self-proclaimed king and he was fighting to stay king for himself. But he was pretending to be a worshiper. The fear of this for a lot of us is this. You can be thinking you're serving the Lord, but you're only in it for what you can get out of it, and you're perpetrating as a worshiper. 
You can pretend to be a worshiper, but the only reason why you're here, or only reason why you're doing, is for what you can do. You need Him to fix your marriage, or you need Him to give you a job, or you need Him to... to, But you're missing out. You find yourself pretending to be a worshiper. And the greatest fear I have in my life is that I'll be a pretend Christian. Because can you imagine this entourage that was traveling for two years? All the way through all the kingdoms, all the towns. All, can you imagine how many kings tried to buy them off or influence them in a way to get behind what they were doing? And the devil constantly puts things in our lives that will give us gain or try to give us, you know, make it a shortcut or, you know, try to make it easier for us just to get us to accept a lower level of what God's called us to do and be so that we can pretend we're worshiping. You know, there's a tree in the Bible that Jesus talked to at one point. The Bible says he walked up to a tree and uh, he looked at the tree and it had green leaves and all that. And he reached up into the tree leaves to pull a piece of fruit and it had none in it. And he stepped back and he cussed that tree. He didn't cut, he cursed the tree. (laughs) One of the greatest fears I have in my life is I'm going to be that tree. Do you know what that tree was? It was a hypocrite. It was a tree that was pretending to be something that it wasn't. It had green leaves and it looked like he was full of fruit and full of life. But when actually was reached up into and touched, there was no fruit there. It was just tree by word. And one of the greatest fears I have in my life is that, you know, I I try to get close to the Lord, but I never really actually take the right step to do it. And so I'm a hypocrite. I I just start playing the role of a Christian to look like a Christian, to try to feel like a Christian. But the truth is, if there's no fruit, you're not a Christian. And so Herod was pretending to be the whole time just doing it for himself. And this is what it said. And it says... And when they, when they had heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly. They, I mean, they, they realized their life was about to change. You realize that? People rejoice exceedingly joy when you know that there's about to be a breakthrough. I'm telling you, God has a breakthrough for you this year, whether it be in your marriage, whether it be in your your job, your finances, your health, there is a breakthrough. And if you got the number one first to recognize that only God can be the one, don't matter what any other kingdom you've had to give up or pass by to get to where you are now, God has a breakthrough for you in your future. And it said they got exceedingly Rejoice and exceedingly great joy. When they had come into the house, they saw a young child with Mary, his mother, who fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, I'm about to give you your prophetic word right here. Now, I'm going to drop back and tell you how you get it. You ready? Verse 12, it says this. It says, Then they divine, they being divinely warned. God has not intervened and stepped into their situation yet. They've went all this way. They've traveled for two years. You say, okay, where do you get the two years? The Bible says, well, when Herod put the decree out, he said, when Herod asked, when did you see the star? When did you see the star? And they gave him whatever date back because they saw the star when Jesus was born. Herod went out and gave the order to kill every child under the age of two. So that lets you know how long it was they saw the star. So if you travel for two years, 
they went that way without God ever telling them where to go, without God ever, you know what I'm saying, appearing to them and giving them a word. Or this was a, They had such a desire on the inside of them to be used, impacted, influenced by God that they were willing to go just on a desire. And they were smart enough to realize the only way you're going to become all that God has for you is if you have a king. And so they traveled. They were not kings. We taught there they were what they were. They were king appointers. You got to understand this. The Bible calls them wise men here. What this tells us is this, because the Bible says a wise man builds his house upon a rock. A foolish man builds it on sand. That means we all have the ability to choose whether or not we're wise or we're foolish by choices that we make. And I believe the story, these characters were put in the story for this reason. God wants to show you what it takes for you to be wise. Anyone in here has the ability to be considered a wise man. Because, see, they weren't kings. They weren't born into something. They were just, they had the ability to appoint kings. I'm here to tell you this. God's given every single person. We're the only creatures on the planet that have been given the ability to choose our king. Animals don't have a choice. They know who God is. Creation does not have a choice. It knows who God is. The Bible says this, that if I don't praise Him and you don't praise Him, even the rocks and the trees will cry out. You've got to understand, we are the only creatures that He put on the planet that has the choice to choose our King. And the Bible says the wise men, they were going and they were going through looking for the king that had the ability to change everything in their life. And the Bible doesn't say that they had an encounter with God at any point telling them which way to go or how to go. They're the only ones in the story that just had this drawing. They wanted, they needed, they, they had life good, it obviously appeared. But they knew there was more for them than what their life had given them. So they went to seek the king. And the Bible says this, when they did, it says, being divinely warned. This is the first place we see God get involved in their life. First place we see God step in and start speaking and changing. They were divinely warned, the Bible says, in a dream. And this is what it says, that they should not return to Herod, that they should depart for their own country. Everybody say these last two words with me. Another way. Here's your prophetic word. And then I'm going to go back and give you four things. Are you ready? Well, then fine. Your prophetic word is this. Whatever you've been through, God has another way to take you back where you want to be. You're not going to have to go or stay in what you're going through. This year will not be repeated in your life. You will not go through the same things. You will not have the same problems. You're, you're not going to go through the same heartache and hurt. You're not going to have the same lack. If you will understand what I'm about to give you, this is your prophetic word. God has another way for you next year. God's not, it's not going to be like it was in the past. Your marriage will not be like it was last year. Your kids will not act like they did last year. There is another way. They, 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 when they knew they had to get home, their heart was to be back home. God did not. They, you would have thought they were going to have to go back through everything they already went through. Their life was going to remain the same as it's been over the last two years. But I'm here to tell you, the last two years are in your past. There is another way to bring you to the life that God has called you to live this year. And 2022 will begin the start of it. But this is what it's going to take. It's going to take you Learning to adore Him. What does that mean? The first thing they did, the Bible says when He walked into the house, it says they saw Him. It says they saw Him. 
I'm here to tell you, you've got to this year see him for more than what you've always needed him to be. You don't need a king, you don't think. You need a savior. You need a healer. But when you see Jesus as a king, the healer, the deliverer, the savior, all comes into play. They were the only ones in this story up to this point that were able to recognize that Jesus was not just a Messiah. Jesus was the king of kings and Lord of lords. And they traveled as far as they went, not to get anything from him, but to come and lay themselves before him and declare, you are king of my life. And in the, after, at the result of that action, the Bible says Godly divinely intervened in their situation and changed the direction of the last two years of their life would go. They would get life back where they wanted to be, but it wasn't going to be the same way they've been for the last two years. These last two years may have been hell on earth in your finances, your marriage, in your heart. And it will never go that way again if you will learn to adore the king and not just worship and go to church. This is what he said. First of all, they saw him. They saw him as king. They, no one else saw. They, the Bible says, even the shepherds, the Bible says that the angels appear before the Lord. And check out what it says. It said, said the angels told him all that stuff. And it says, so the angel, they, the shepherds said this. If you read it, it Luke, it says, they said, let us go and see if what they said is true. They weren't looking for a king. These wise men were looking for Jesus to take the place of king in their life. And when you get the desire that I just don't want Jesus to be my get out of jail free card, I want him to be king of my life. Things begin to change in your life. Number two, they saw him. Number two is they worshiped him. Now they worshiped him before they gave him the gifts. So don't nobody go out of here saying I'm fixing to preach money because we are going to talk about something in a minute. But before there was ever a gift involved, the heart had to be dealt with. I'm here to tell you, you cannot adore anyone but a king. You can love, you can appreciate, you can be thankful, but you cannot adore anyone. King, it's a spiritual thing to adore. You can only adore a king. You are a magi. You are a king appointer. You have the ability to decide who king of your life is. Number two, or number three, the word, the heart has to be dealt with. You can't worship God. With a messed up heart. Before you're able to move and allow him to be king. You have to be willing to let him deal with the heart issues on the inside. Because until the heart issues are dealt with on the inside. You're stuck in the same rut or in the same road that you've been traveling all your life. The reason why you still got the same hang-ups is the reason why you still got the same habits. And the reason why you still got the same issues is because there's a heart issue that has got to be dealt with. And the only thing that can deal with those heart issues is you coming and humbling yourself before the Lord. You can't get a heart issue dealt with standing up and being prideful. Let me show you what pride looks like. I ain't going to forgive her. Look what she did to me. I can't believe. That's pride. Pride says that you get the power, the authority to hold on to what somebody has done to you in your past. But it wasn't until it says they came and bowed down 
and worship. Do you know what that means? That means they humbled themselves and said, I may feel tired, angry, upset, bothered, bitter. I may have a right to be offended. And what they did was wrong. But I'm not concerned about what that is anymore. I'm concerned about pouring out of what's on the inside of me to my king. And giving my king what's been done to me and letting him judge it justly. First Peter 2.24 says this. They raveled him, he raveled not. They threatened him, they threatened him not. They hit him and he did not retaliate. It says, but he entrusted it unto God who judges justly. And it says, by his stripes we are healed. See, you've got to decide that it's not okay to, be, to try to serve the king with heart issues. So you've got to deal with the heart issues. Let me tell you how you know if you're dealing with heart issues or not. Listen to what you say. If you're talking about what they did, if you're walking around telling everybody about what they did or how they did it, you're stuck in a rut and those are hard issues. Let me give you a secret. You know how to deal with it? Humble yourself and say, you know what, God? You are greater than me. You're my king. I've come. And I've You're my king. I'm, I'm, I'm a magi. I point you as my king. I put you above me. So what I decide is this. I'm going to use my tongue not to stay hung, because offense means hung, I'm going to use my tongue to worship. Because you can't worship God and gripe and complain and be bitter at the same time. It's impossible. So you got to move into worship. You humble yourself. And it don't matter what they did. You put your... You Focus on Jesus. Going into 2020 must be a focus on the King. Because when you focus on the King and you don't focus on what's going on or happening, you move into a place where you can begin to humble yourself and worship. Because whether you want to humble yourself or not in front of God, the Bible says every knee will bow. It's only a matter of time. How long are you going to stay sick and tired? How long are you going to stay bothered and offended? Go ahead. Make the decision now. This is what the Bible says in Revelation 4. It says that when we get to heaven, the throne of God is going to be surrounded by 24 elders and they're all going to take their crowns off and lay them at the feet of Jesus. Why wait till then? We can do it now. We can take the throne of our own feelings and our own... Herod's problem was he was his own king. So he would fight to get what he wanted all the time. The Pharisees' problem was religion was their king. But the wise men decided that Jesus was my king and they went to where he was. They knelt down, humbled themselves and they chose to let heart issues be dealt with. Now, we're going to go as a church into the... In January, we're doing prophetic words. In February, we're doing a relationship series called Pursue. It's not just about marriage. It's how to get a girlfriend. It's how to get best friends. It's how to get a good spiritual authority and principles. It's going to be all kind of relationships. But then after February, we're moving into, from February to Easter, we're going into a series called Kairos, which is, does, it deals with nothing but the brokenness and hurt that's been put on the inside of us. Even before we had a chance to deal with it. I'm excited about that because I know this. There's some of us this year that aren't going to learn to worship God as king until the heart issues are dealt with. So we're going to have to go there. But the heart issue, they worshipped. Then this is what the Bible says. And this says that then they got up and they presented to him the first gift, which was gold. Now this is why we know it's all about the king. This is the only, Matthew's the only story that breaks, uh, uh, is the only gospel that breaks this story down. And the reason why Matthew wrote this in there, because each gospel is written with a different theme in it, a different perspective of the message that the author of those gospels wanted to get across. Matthew's theme through the entire book of Matthew does nothing but proclaim 
Jesus as king. Because this is where it starts. God will draw you in as a savior, as a forgiver, as a deliverer. Then it's your choice to be a wise man and appoint him as king. And when you appoint him as king of your life, then he has the authority in your life to begin to change things for you. Now, if you don't ever allow him to be king and you just keep him as savior, you may make it to heaven. But you're going to keep living in what you've been living in through all of what you've been going through. The truth is you can be Christian and be messed up. You can be Christian and be unhappy. You can be a Christian. You can be making it to heaven. And you can get every, you know, you can be getting bits and pieces, but you're never going to have what these guys had. When they came to Jesus, they gave him gold, which 330 I believe it's six, maybe 332, 382, it's in my notes. Places in the Bible, gold is put and made reference to royalty. They came, they were seeking a king, they found a king. They worshipped and adored a king. But it wasn't until they gave him kingly rights in their life did king and kingdom principles start working. See, the Bible talks about two things. There's, there's 70 places in the Bible, the Bible talks about the kingdom of heaven. There's 32 places in the Bible, God calls it the kingdom of God in the New Testament. It's over 100 times mentioning kingdom way of living. There are two ways to get into kingdom way of living. One, you get saved and you enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's where you'll spend eternity. But then there's number two, there's the kingdom of God. And that's the rule and the way a king rules and governs over an area begins to function in your life. So you can be going to heaven and be messed up or you can live on earth and be living on heaven and earth. The principles of the kingdom at work in your life begin to bring heaven to earth. That's why God said, pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You don't just have to wait to get to heaven. You can live in the kingdom of God now. And when you Jesus said this, the kingdom of God is at hand. And when they decided that they were, they, we think it was money. And yeah, practically speaking, the gift that the wise men gave the young couple was life changing. They were poor. They couldn't hardly make it. They couldn't even afford a room because you say, well, there's no room. No, if you got enough money, that dude would have gave up his own room. He was a businessman. So they didn't have the money to influence. And what was taking place in Jesus' life was this. There was, he was about to have to spend two years in a foreign country where a father in a foreign country wasn't going to be able to work and support his family. So yeah, there was a practical purpose for the gold that God had. They gave him gold and that's what theologians believe that Jesus lived on and the family lived on in Egypt while they were there for the two years till they were allowed to come back. Yes, there's practical, but there's also spiritual. They were saying, this is king metal. And traditionally done in history's time, they called gold the king's metal and when you presented a gift to the king at least some part of it was supposed to be gold because it brought representation to you acknowledging who this person you're giving something to is so they started their gift off by giving him gold because they were saying the first thing that allows you to be who you are in my life is me giving you the authority to be it see kings are born but as people we get to choose whether or not he's our king or not. You don't understand. If you don't choose that he's your king, it's not going to change the fact that he is king. And one day you're going to bow. 
But if you choose today to let him be your king, what happens is this. You begin to get the benefits of kingly living. All the principles of God in the kingdom of God begin to work in your life when you allow the authority of a king to have rule and reign over you. And this is what it takes. See, kings are different than presidents. Kings, when if someone is your king, then they own everything you have. That's a different mindset from America. Because we have presidents. And if we don't like what he did, we'll get a new one. And so kings, though, they're born. We don't, you don't get to choose or elect or decide he's your king. Once he's your king, he's your king for life. And the thing about it is Jesus ain't going to ever die. They tried it. It didn't work. So he will rule and reign as a king forever. And so when you give him lordship of your life, that's not just for Sunday. That's for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. It's forever. And so they are saying, you're my king. We give you this. And what next thing for a king is this. Not only do they own everything in it, they're responsible for it. They weren't giving away. They were actually receiving. When you're under a king's authority, you're under a king's protection. When you're under a king's authority, you're under a king's rule. Another principle of a king is the king's word is the law. It's not voted on by Congress. It's not voted on by Senate. The king says it, and that's the way it is. And see, a lot of times we want to let him be our king, and we want the parts that he says that fit the way we feel, but we don't want the part. If Jesus is king of your marriage, you don't get to act like you want to. If Jesus is king of your life, you don't get to walk, talk, hang out, go do what you want to. He's king. When they gave him that gold, they said, you are my authority and I will submit. The word submit is a mean word, but you know what it simply means? I get behind you. And I got to be honest with you. I want to get behind Jesus. I'm going to close with this. Because you need to know this. When they gave him that gold, they said, you're my king. You know what the number one sign and purpose and goal of a king is? A good king, the number one goal and the sign of a good king is this. How happy and peaceful are the inhabitants of his kingdom. And it's kind of a sign. I can tell the areas of my life where I've allowed Jesus to be king because you will find joy and you will find righteousness and you will find peace. The areas of my life that he's not king... I'm going to find strife, rebellion, and brokenness. And so my job is to constantly be coming for my king saying, God, I'm going to adore you. And the only way I can adore you is to make you king of my life. I humble myself and say, not my will, but yours. Not my kingdom, but your kingdom. He said, lay down your cross. Pick up his. You allow his purpose. And these are the things that it does for you. Number one, it changes one's allegiance. You no longer have to live for yourself. You can now live at, in the White House, there's a saying that came out of an old time saying that was done to kings. If you, they, if you work in the White House in the West Wing, supposedly your answer now to a president is when he tells you or gives you a command, the answer is supposed to be, at your pleasure. They say, yes, sir, Mr. President, at your pleasure. That came from kings of old where kings would give decrees and servants say, at your pleasure, we will obey. In other words, it ain't about making you happy. It's about making him happy. Because what you've got to understand is when you make him happy, it's just a matter of time before you're happier than you've ever been in your life. So it has to change your allegiance. Number two, it has to change uh, your expectations. 
And we say, what does that mean? We all think what we want God to do, but the Bible says His expectations are higher than ours. No eyes seen, no ears heard. You've got to get ready to dream bigger. Number three, it changes one's values. In other words, what you used to hold value, them guys, they, they had rather spend one night on their knee before the king than have those bags full of gold. You need to understand something. When Jesus is king of your life, it don't matter how big your bank account is because what you have is so much more valuable than anything else. Your value system changes. They went all that far, spent all that money to give away all their gold, to give away all their money, give away all... Because they understood kingship is worth more. Because if you got a king, everything he has, he will use at his resources to help you do you are his responsibility. Man, I'm glad I've gotten to a place in my life I'll gladly give up anything I have for Jesus because he has way much more than me. The Bible says, like my tithe. I can tell if I, Jesus is the king of my life for my tithe because the Bible says that when you bring the tithe to him, it says he will open the windows of heaven. Now check this. That's him being king. If he opens the window of it and it says my storehouse. His window is bigger than my storehouse. His window is big. So why are we holding on to this little? When we say, you're my king, I give you all. And all is at your disposal. And he opens up things in your life that you could never do on your own. These wise men understood that. And they only came there to do that. Not to get anything, just to give him kingship of their life. And then number four, it changes one's priorities. What used to be important to you won't be anymore. And it says it like this. It says, why do you worry about what you're going to wear today? What are you going to worry? You know, if you're in the kingdom of God, you don't got to worry about the clothes. The daisies dress better than you. You know, the the lilies of the field dress better. Why are you worried about what you're going to? Why? Because see, one's priorities change when you have a king. Because when you're when you got a king, you understand your needs are no longer your needs. It's the king's job to supply all your needs. And so when you get a king, then it says, the last thing is, it changes one's lifelong mission. You'll start living and getting up out of bed for different reasons. I remember when I used to just get up out of bed to try to pay my bills, and it was miserable. Now I've got to be honest with you. I get up out of my bed to say, God, how can you use me today? King, at your pleasure, what would do for you? And he goes before me in my day assigning me and placing me in places that change everything. It all comes down to a king. In old days, there was an allegiance that men would have to give before their king. That was an oath that they would make. Our ushers are coming now to pass out communion. It was an oath they would make that pledged their allegiance, is what it's called, to their king. In other words, it pledged everything that I am to your purpose and your will. And they would, as a matter of fact, it's still functioning in places around the world today. As a matter of fact, I was writing this morning in Spain to become a, a citizen of Spain. You actually have six days once you've turned in your application to stand before a legal court and make an oath to the allegiance to their king. And without that there, then you don't get to be a Spain citizen. It's a principle of old that men and women would come and pledge their allegiance to their king because when they did, it meant that he was full authority, his word was the only one that had rule, and his pleasure was what you were submitting under to do, even at the cost of your own life. I'm here to tell you, wise men understand this. And they understand that if you will let Jesus be your king, even though we may not understand the principle of king, But if you'll humble yourself and say, God, I don't need a Savior. 
I don't need a healer. If you do nothing for me for the rest of my life, I give you the kingship of every part of my life. I pledge allegiance to you and you alone. What begins to release in your life is a power that you could never begin or you've never encountered before. Never in this story have we seen. They were only going by signs. If we have, they got the then go ahead and start the video for me. We've got our communion elements. Never before had these guys, as it mentioned, had an encounter with God. You may be here, cricket, and say, "What you're saying is so crazy." I understand. I used to be, think that too, until I finally surrendered. I say, God, I don't want you just to get me to heaven. I don't want you just to, you know, heal me or something, fix, fix my marriage. But if you do none of that, I just want you to be my king. Then he stepped in and I began to encounter him at a level that I can never explain or show you. But I pray that it shows in my life because I'm happier than I ever could imagine. I'm more blessed than you could even. I mean, I just spent days in Disney World, which there was a day I would have never thought I could have even gotten out of the state with the money that I had. I am only a product of Jesus being my king. And I remember the days I've been saved for years. That it came to a place where I finally said, God, I'm tired of just being saved. I need a king. And so I want to adore you. I pour everything at your feet. And if I never get up with anything again, I'm okay with that. And he became my king. And then he began to work on my behalf. To make things in my life work and come together and cause me to be. Because check it out. The sign of a successful king is a flourishing nation. The sign of a successful Christian or sexful God is a flourishing Christian. When people look at you and say, wow, look at what their king does. That's what it is. So here's how you do it. I'm going to give you how you do it. One, you take what you have. And the truth is, whatever you have came from him anyway. You take what you have and you remember who he is. You come looking for a king, not for an answer. That's what these guys did because you never can adore God until you find him as your king. They were the only ones that were able to see him that way. And so they came and they worshiped the king. You say, well, how does that happen, Cricket? Well, first you look and see who died for you. Has anybody else died for you? Anybody else went to a cross and they didn't do anything wrong and... They did it even though you hadn't even acknowledged their existence yet? No. He deserves to be your king. He's going to be king regardless. You get to choose whether or not he's yours. So you take what he did and you say, God, I thank you for your body being broken for me. I thank you that when I didn't deserve it, you didn't hold that against me. But you came in a messy situation and you gave your life for me. So I accept you as my king when we take his body. Now, do you know what makes a king? And this is the good part. This is what I've been trying to get to. And I know I've taken a long way to get there. I hadn't preached in two weeks. But do you know what makes a king? The bloodline. The bloodline is the only way to be a king. No matter who well, that's why Moses could never be a king. He wasn't born to Pharaoh. Jesus is king because he does not have an earthly father. The blood comes from the father. 
And because his father is God, physically and spiritually, he was born a king. And the thing about it is this. When you accept Jesus and him dying on the cross for you, the Bible says you're born again. You're born with the new bloodline. The blood of Jesus no longer was just shed for you. The blood of Jesus now becomes part of who you are. Because this is what it says. See, we've talked about Jesus being your king. Do you know what Revelation 19 says about it? This is what Revelation 19 says. It says Jesus is not just a king. It says he's going to come back on a white horse, riding wearing a white robe. And on that robe, it tells us really what he is. It says this. You can play that again. It says, on his robe is written, King of Kings. Let me ask you a question. How do you become a king? You have to be born a king. So the minute you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're born again, the Bible calls it. And you're born a king. New Testament says you are a king and a priest. Kings and priests, their rules are number one, to worship. And number two, to rule. But you can't ever be that king that God's called you to until the king gets a king. Does this make sense? Are you following me? So Jesus is not just king. He then becomes a king of kings. Say, Cricket, what does my future look like? Royalty. Royalty. He says, you are king of kings. He's my king. And as long as you keep Jesus, your king, you will live the life of a king. I mean, I'm here to tell you, put me to test. Every area of my life I have surrendered the lordship and king over to Jesus. My life is blessed. Every area of my life I've held back to live for myself. I'm still broken. And so what I chose to do is every time I recognize that Jesus is not on the throne as king in an area of my life, I repent, thank him for his broken body, and I apply the blood. And I change the bloodline. And I become a king in that area. In my marriage, I'm a king. And do you know what the king in a marriage has the power to do? To treat his wife as a queen. You know what the queen has the power to do in a marriage? Treat his husband as a king. At my job, I'm a king. Because Jesus is going to be Lord of my job. When I walk in there, they're going to know. I work here, but I'm going to do the most amazing job you could ever imagine because I work for him, my king. In my finances, I got money, but all of it ain't mine. 10% of it belongs to my king. So I give my king his. And he makes my 90% blow up. If you just knew how blessed I was. I'm here to tell you this. The only way you will ever learn to adore is to allow Jesus to be your king. You can, you, you can worship a savior, but you can only adore a king. You can worship a healer. You can only adore a, he, a king. And so this season, search your heart. Find areas that he's not king over. And be a wise man. Be a magi. They had the ability and the authority to appoint a king in their life. And you can put Jesus there and instantly, instantly expect God to show up. This is your prophetic word. To show up and make it another way. You receive it? Let me pray. Father God, I ask you to take this word. I know I went long with it. I ask you to take your word. Lord, I know I'm speaking. 
prophetic word today. And I ask you, Lord, to take that prophetic word and you bury it in their heart to where when they walk out of here, the birds can't come and take it away. I thank you, Lord, that you have another way. They are not going to live the next two years the way the last two years have been. The roads they've had to travel on and the distance they've had to go through will not be the same. You have a better way to get them to the place that they desire to be. And right now, I release blessing in the area of where you are king in the name of Jesus. Turn this song up. Take 30 seconds to let these words truly pour out of you and not just be something you say. But learn to let your king be adored in the name of Jesus and you're dismissed. Produce is outside to pick up. Please take it home.